and welcome to another episode of The Visitors Might Be Listening, the unofficial podcast about all things V. I'm Lewis Ryan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Lars. Hey, Lewis. It's good to be here. Yep, certainly is. And we have a very exciting episode for us today, don't we, Lars? A, a grand finale, if you will. Yep, the culmination of uh, five episodes where we looked at the first and second miniseries in the V franchise from the early 1980s. I, I would say it's been uh, mostly a success. Wouldn't you agree, Lars? Yeah, I, I would too. I mean, you know, I started out completely blind on this, but I, I'd say I'd had a good time. We were we were both very excited to see how things all turned out for the uh, people of Earth, right? <laughs> that That we were. <laughs> And we are going, <laughs> or not people, as you may have it. <laughs> and we, we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do, Lars and I are both contributors to thepostwriter.com, a great website where you can check out all sorts of articles about movies, politics, health, and science. So check out The Postwriter. And there are also some great podcasts that you can check out on there as well. And so, as we said, we'll be looking at V, The Final Battle, Part 3 of 3, which aired in May of 1984, roughly a year after the first miniseries. I would encourage everyone to check the episode out before listening to our podcast discussion about it. You can do so by purchasing it on Amazon Prime Video, iTunes, or check out the Blu-rays that Warner Archive has recently released in the past few years. So, Lars, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the overall plot of final battle part three yeah so the final battle part three uh it kind of picks up immediately where <laughs> uh final battle part two leaves off with which is the much lambasted birth of robin's children that lewis and i spent a good you know five minutes talking about at the end of last episode so uh, you may recall that robin has one initially apparent apparently normal human child that it turns out has like a lizard tongue and then Robin is put to sleep, and then it turns out she's having twins, and a ridiculous-looking lizard baby climbs out of her uterus. Um, so the story picks up there. Uh, but it picks up pretty dramatically. It turns out that the male lizard child, uh, the one who looks like a lizard, is actually dying. And it dies pretty quickly in this episode, uh, which I called correctly uh off air to you lewis <laughs> curse you lord <laughs> so uh, that child is dying meanwhile her other child uh elizabeth yeah i wonder why they name her elizabeth do you have any thoughts about that lars uh can you remind me quickly off the air <laughs> why yeah wh who's elizabeth no it's just liz as in lizard. Oh, oh. Get it? Do you get it? Oh, I get it. Oh, God. At least I assume that's why. <laughs> I, uh, I assumed it was named after someone. Anyway, the other child, the human-looking child with the lizard tongue, uh, Elizabeth, uh, grows incredibly quickly, and she's basically like a toddler at this point, um, and she's been, you know, shedding her skin, uh, which I actually thought was pretty well done i thought that was kind of cool so you've got kind of that that plot line and the rebels uh they've discovered using the corpse of the lizard child uh that the aliens are they, they are prone to this illness that the rebels can like <laughs> concoct into like a red dust and, and it it's it's yeah so why don't we just let the cat out of the bag, Lars? Do you think this episode shares any parallels to sort of what's going on in the modern day? Well, yes, and I, of course, um, it it is it because it's about it's about a disease essentially. It's about biological warfare, right? And like Lewis predicted uh, off the air, they introduce like a completely new plot element, and that ends up being like the driving plot line. That was really episode. that was really a prediction. <laughs> So much as yeah, that's how TV kind of works sometimes. Yeah, but so the the, the episode kind of starts like that, right? And it's like the, the crux is the rebels discover yeah, that there's I, this disease that can kill the visitors. It's so weird how they decided to end part two and then just have part three start off this way. Yeah. It's just like like why why not have Martin and uh, God <laughs> Martin and Mike 
like get back to the base like while the delivery happens because it's just, it's just weird and it's like why end on the baby why show the baby why not hide the baby in shadows as we discussed before if you're just gonna kill it off <laughs> right they spend so much money on this ridiculous looking child and then it dies in the first god what five minutes of this episode yeah it's uh, but there was that i mean it was you did want a great scene of robin like reacting to the baby and she blair tefkin sure gives her all reacting to this thing <laughs> yeah. out of her body yeah um <laughs> yeah and, so, and it's also and it's also just like it's like the baby like has the uh as tv tropes would say the sudden uh soap opera age thing that happens with children where it's like suddenly the child's like two uh, at right. first i thought it was like they just brought it up i thought just to cover because we talked you talked about how like the baby looks like too when it came out and right. i was like that, that's how tv works like you can't just have a newborn yeah. on a film set but it's like they had a line covering it which they I, I thought they didn't really need but they had one so i was like all right fine but then they have the child like grow to like be a four or five year old that can talk and it's like okay why why uh, and it's like this is this might be why Kenneth Johnson left or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what's going on with the rebels at the start of the movie. And like you said, Mike and Martin, they they have they're running around the tubes of the mothership, and then they <laughs> skydive out in the most convenient. There's a convenient set of parachutes <laughs> in this hole they jump out of. Yeah, did, did, it turns into the Coleman Francis film, The Skydivers, <laughs> for some reason. Um, do they show anything, like, after they jump out? I don't, like, remember them, like, landing or anything or any sequence. No, I think it kind of lost me when, like, they go by this, like, exhaust hole and there's two, like, parachutes lying sure, there. <laughs> sure, Martin. Uh, <laughs> Martin prepared ahead of time uh, in case two people... Got fingered. I just thought it was funny how Mike Martin's like, we're going to skydive out of here. And Mike's just like, no, let's go back up to the loading thing and take the shuttlecraft yeah. like I've done five times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so Martin and, and, and Mike, they make it back to the resistance um, where you may recall that Mike's son is because uh, they did a, a prisoner swap for the two of them in the last at the end of the last episode. Uh Oh, and that, that's another thing. It's like, why do this thing where Mike goes aboard the ship if he's just going to immediately well, leave? I guess because they need Martin to, like, have officially turned and to bring him in. Yeah, I, I guess it makes it more tense for the visitors and stuff. But it's just, it happens so quickly. Like, if you're yeah. watching this back to back. I, I don't mind it because they kind of need to get Martin down to Earth and clearly on the side of the humans. So I, I don't know. Um. But basically, the entire resistance reunites, and the entire, you know, the visitors, they're all, there's a clear dichotomy now. Everyone's together, and everyone's against each other. The rebels have a plan. They're going to use this red dust to kill the visitors, and they have to create a vaccine so that the good visitors, like Martin and uh, Willie, uh, you know, are going to be fine, right? There's, there's the movement of the episode. However, <laughs> something goes wrong with these two children that we now have on the base. Uh, for one, Mike's son uh, is evil, <laughs> or at least brainwashed. So he's yeah. been spying on him. He's been converted, uh, yeah. I guess. Did, did, did you figure it out, like, immediately? Yes. I thought it was very obvious as soon as they arranged a transport that there was something oh. wrong. Okay because like of course i don't know it made total sense to me yeah well they i guess steven has a line where it's like i've got someone in their camp and then then there's the scene when mike returns and sean's like i don't like baseball anymore and it's like oh i yeah, see yeah, i see what yeah. they're doing here right no one just doesn't like baseball anymore yeah it there's like a little bit of drama on the base is like Mike's like, no, my son's fine. And everyone's like, no, dude, he's not. He's super not. And I feel like they brush past that very quickly as Mike is all Mike very quickly is like, oh, yeah, you're right. He's not fine. 
Yeah, I feel like it doesn't really make any sense for Mike's character to be like, no, that's impossible. <laughs> right, because there's <laughs> like this very dramatic son. like argument between him and, and Juliet where he's like, if you try to be between me and my son, I will always pick my son. And like, what, two minutes later, he's like, no, you're all right. My son's evil. <laughs> um, so the Resistance kind of cleverly uses this uh, in their favor, right? Is that They're able to use... Uh, Mike's son as like a fake messenger to tell the visitors their false plans and distract them. Disinformation. Yeah. The other child, Elizabeth, the living lizard human child, uh, as we said, she's been growing very rapidly. Um, she's become a bit of a problem on the base. She's been like spitting her acid in people's face. Um, <laughs> I love her like grandfather is like, Robert he's Maxwell. Like, yeah, yeah, and he's like, someone ought to kill that thing. <laughs> and like the priest is like, oh my god, no. But then the priest um ends up, you know, taking her to Diana. Yeah. And I'm, that's I'm her. very Yeah, that's that that's leads into Diana's story. It's very frustrating how like the visitor's mothership has just turned into like town hall where anyone yes. can stop by. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. So Father um, Doyle shows by comes by with Elizabeth and it's like, "Hi Diana." <laughs> right. I yeah. brought Elizabeth here. She's half human, half visitor. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of Yeah, so that kind of brings us to Diana's plot and Elizabeth is like Diana's ward throughout basically the rest of this episode. Um and there's a lot of like anytime Diana does something like dramatic in this episode it'll zoom very directly into the child's face and like really linger there um i just thought it was a funny choice um it is interesting that you brought up this you made this like connective theme about like children like the children causing problems because i i hadn't even thought of that but it is, yeah. is true yeah i mean they're, they're kind of the i don't know i kind of look at them as like because they they the episode goes to a lot of lengths to like show you how the children are viewing what's going on by like deliberately zooming in on Elizabeth's face every time Diana does something and the resistance like basically using Mike's kid, you know, for their own benefit. Um, you know, it, it's a good it's a good device. I, I appreciate it. it. It it uses the children, at least initially, we'll get to later, but it uses the children without like focusing on them as as characters too much. Mm -hmm. um which which is good because we don't really care about them we care about like mike and and julie and and yeah no one no one no one watches these sci-fi action things and it's like oh i want to be one of the kids right right um so the only thing i kind of kind of glimpsed over here just because it was kind of a dramatic moment is they they capture brian who is of course elizabeth's father um and they're the one resistance captures brian yeah and they, he's the one that they test the red dust on to make sure it'll kill the visitors and it kills him, you know, basically instantly. It does a very good job. Yeah. Um, so why don't we talk about the scene where they capture Brian and then we can talk about Daniel and we can circle back to Brian. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, yeah, they capture Brian by essentially tricking them at Daniel's house using the resistance member that had infiltrated Daniel and been sleeping with him. So they come in posing as like wine delivery men. Yeah. And both Brian and Daniel are like, hey, I didn't order this. It's like, what? Me neither. Right, right. And then <laughs> they capture Brian and it's like uh, Elias's father. They have, they're in like a perfect opportunity to just like shoot Daniel. But he's like, nah, I've got a better idea. So after right. they capture Brian, they like phone Steven and make it seem like Daniel is working with the resistance. So they bring Daniel to like their World War II Nazi chalet that I mentioned in the last episode. And it's yeah. like they apparently torture Daniel for like hours. And it's like, no, I'm not a resistance member. And Steven's like, well, you know, you can still be of service to us. And Daniel is like, how and it's like well as food of course and then daniel's like carted away <laughs> screaming to be devoured by the visitors 
How did how did you feel about this uh, conclusion to Daniel? Uh, I was definitely rooting for it. Uh, I appreciated the the so so the show is obviously you know we keep harping on like there's this fascist allegory right and I actually think it loses that in this episode to its discredit. But this part you know is obviously very much about that right. It's like the the problem with fascism is. When everyone <laughs> wants power, everyone's going to tear each other down. And, like, who can you really trust in a system like this? And, you know, Daniel, who is, like, a devout, you know, member of this cause and, like, like willing to kill old ladies because he, like, loves the fascists so much, um, is a victim to fascism, too. And that's completely realistic, right? That's It's like how Darth Vader kills his, like, top generals. This... That's how it works. That's how fascism goes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're right in that it, it lost something when it, it pushed Daniel and like Mike's mom to more firmly on like they're evil now. They're like it's like the lines have been drawn. It's like the resistance are good, the visitors are evil, and everyone who's with them. And this episode is just sort of like all the dominoes falling over for the visitors, like their final defeat. And it's like in the real world, it's much more slow and deliberate. Um, than that yeah um but you know a, a fitting end for a a bad guy <laughs> uh i was actually going to disagree um i kind of would have preferred they just shoot daniel because i feel like it's just so i don't know like why i want to sympathize with daniel because it's just like he comes across it's like he's young i know he like shot ruby but it's like i i feel like it's kind of horrible like I, him getting I, eaten like that. I I don't know. I disagree. I think him meeting the ends, like him dying at the hands of the people that he like has betrayed everyone he loves for is like, there's a poetic like justice in that, right? It's like, that's a good end for him is he believes so wholeheartedly in this cause. And then they are the ones who kill him because they don't trust him because you don't trust people in a fascist society. Yes. I mean, you're correct. And it's like on paper, but I, I just feel like, you know, I, I hold I mean, no sympathy for Daniel. Let me be very clear. <laughs> well, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. Um, I guess one other thing before we talk about Brian against staying on Daniel is that I thought it was, I was thinking as I was watching this, I feel like it was a very creepy element that the, the Bernsteins, like they were just not addressed. It's like what happened to them. I thought it was like kind of a creepy element about yeah. like what happened to them, but at the end of the episode reveals that they are they're fine, they're alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's shown very quickly. So, I mean, like I like you know I feel for the Bernstein's. I mean, it's like it's Daniel's like their their son. So I I don't know. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, like you you wouldn't sentence like prisoners like here in America like oh you're sentenced to be eaten by the jury. <laughs> they don't really know that they're going to eat him, but... They say they're going to eat him. I mean, I guess the resistance doesn't know what's going to happen to him. I, I I don't know. I thought it was a good end to his story, but we can agree to disagree on that one. Yeah. So anyway, they bring Brian back to the resistance camp and they put him in a, in a giant tube. <laughs> And they debate testing right. out the uh, disease, the red powder, which has the disease uh, on Brian. Yeah. And then there's a scene, um, and this is right before Elizabeth is taken up to Diana. Uh, but I thought this scene was really good, too. Is um, It's uh, Robin. Robin. Robin, like, creeps into the prison cell where they're holding brian late at night and elizabeth's like in tow um and she's like talking to brian and it's like brian's like let me out of here and we can go away from all of this and she's like really go away from all this and he's like yeah i love you you're the only one for me and she's like really and and you know as a watcher you're like oh god girl no <laughs> um and then she's like about to like open the door to presumably like let him out and she just like throws the vial of the red dust in there and slams it and like backs off and he like just like dies in terrible pain. I thought it was good. Like I was like tense that scene. 
Yeah, it was a it was a good scene, certainly. And like I said, it is just like the episode is just like all the chips uh, are falling for the visitors. Like Brian dies, other people die later. Daniel dies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was certainly glad that uh, she didn't like help him escape. Right. And yeah, I, I would have been pretty mad. I was like, why isn't there like a guy sitting on a chair with a gun like right by the tube? <laughs> like, why? Yeah. Why leave him alone? <laughs> yeah. Be like, hey, Robin, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, and then Juliet comes in. And they're like, we, we we don't know if this is poisonous to humans or not. And so Juliet's like, I'll do it. She just walks into the <laughs> yeah, tube yeah. with the red dust. And Mike is like, what? What are you doing? Yeah. I did that not was, love that. Yeah, that wasn't, I mean, it was clearly just there for a commercial break. Yeah. And then it comes back and it's like, I'm fine. Yeah. It's yeah. completely harmless to humans. And it's like, oh, okay, that's that's very convenient. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that that's sort of, they've set all the pieces, right? And now it's time to move into kind of the second act of this episode. Um, and I, I think the best way to start talking about it is kind of to go over to, back to Diana and what's going on with her. Um, so she, you know, we talked about how Elizabeth has been brought to her and she's got Elizabeth as her ward for the rest of the episode. Um, she murders the priest who's just chilling on the mothership because she doesn't like the Bible. She thinks the Bible makes her vulnerable is I think the word she uses. Um, she becomes increasingly sort of militant is she, you know, disagrees with John, the, the supreme leader uh she's she's losing um face <laughs> yeah yes she's losing uh, her standing in the visitor hierarchy right so she starts uh plotting right she she starts plotting a way to kind of stay in control and to differentiate perhaps from the visitor leadership in a more militant posture so she gets word um, that, you know, through her spy, which is Mike's kid, that they are, that the resistance is planning to, like, raid all the Air Force bases, which they're, of course, not, right? They just fed him that so that he'd tell them. They, the, they say that they're going to use the jets to disperse the red d- disease dust, and they end up using hot air balloons. Yes. Um, I'll, we'll... we'll it's a, I like that scene a lot, too. Um, There's a giant V balloon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, like, it's just like hundreds of balloons lifting into the air. Um, the, the problem is, so the, the, the resistance does figure out that there's, they can make like a, a vaccine, and they start rolling that out, and they give it, to, obviously, to like Martin and Willie and you know, their friends who are visitors. But Martin reveals to them that there's actually like, uh, like a fail-safe aboard the visitor's mothership where it can like... T- t- uh, it's like a doomsday ship, right? Is they can like activate a super nuclear explosion that'll destroy the entire planet if they're if they want to, right? So presumably, he's worried. Presumably, he means all life on the planet instead of the actual rock, because that that's <laughs> you'd have to be very power, powerful to destroy the entire planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's a problem. So the resistance has to do two things, right? It has to spread this virus, uh, across the earth, which they're using hot air balloons to, to disperse it. Um, and it kind of gets like offhandedly explained. It's like, well, they're just dumping it like in a few places. Like, don't you understand? It's going to get into the water, into the food, into the ecosystem. Just yeah. one explosion is going to ruin earth. That bacteria multiplies. Yeah. Um, I thought that was like, oh, like I get that, but that was a convenient well, I- I, I just liked how it's like all immediately over because like they they find out about the hot air balloons and John shoots one down and it's like it's like it's basically over. <laughs> right. So I did not care for this because you know that's going to take time, right? It takes time for it to get into the ecosystem in the in the water, and there is a vaccine. As, as we all know, when there's a, a pandemic, it happens very slowly. It doesn't come all at once. <laughs> I, it's just I, has I, to lock down. I don't know. It, 
it doesn't make sense to me that they were like, well, it's over. I, I guess because the resources that they want from Earth are useless to them now. But I don't see why they'd have to, like, give up control. You know what I mean? I mean, I can understand what you're saying. But, I mean, I, I like that aspect of it where it's like John's like, just shoot it down. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. you shot it down. Now the disease is out there. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's the scary thing about uh, biological warfare is that once it's out, it's out. You can't really control it like you can, like, with a bomb. Yeah. Um, so they've got that part of the plan down. The problem is they have to stop the mothership from, like, blowing itself up and yeah, destroying to, all of Earth. They have to stop the visitors being like, you know what? Fuck this plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so they raid the mothership. <laughs> yes, once again, Mike and Martin <laughs> and Juliet and said it. Um, Barbara, uh, Elias goes up there. Oh, no? yeah, Elias is there too. Um, and uh, Lorraine. Um, so they have to deal with the like doomsday device aboard the mothership. So a group of re the resistance, uh, you know, Mike, Juliet, Elias, uh, Lorraine, who's like a fifth column visitor. Uh, they arrive on the ship and they start like pumping the red dust into the vents. <laughs> They're like it's going to take a while. <laughs> um, but, but they're up there, you know, they're trying to like flush out the ship and kill everyone before they can activate the doomsday device. Um, and, you know, D Diana catches wind. Uh, they lock down kind of like the command center and she, starts to activate like the doomsday device yeah well before that she really like has it out with john <laughs> that's one way to put it well i mean she made i mean it's like basically diana becomes like the ultimate villain of the the thing she's basically like you know what enough about like the resource gathering or whatever it's all about just me accumulating power and i want to be in control and it's like enough of your frivolity john and john's like you i'm not just gonna commit genocide on a planet just because we we lost and then yeah. he like walks away and diana shoots him in the back yeah which so this is when uh i i think this is when the film not the film i think this is when this episode peaks with the fascism stuff right is it's you know fascism is being undermined within you you've got diana she wants power at all costs. So she's willing to like take down her leader. Um, you know, you've got this John versus Diana dynamic is one wants to take it too far. And the other, um, you know, is, is she thinks he's unwilling to like accept this power or whatever. Um, John is like a pragmatic fascism, if you will. Whereas Diana is like a, we must burn this place to the ground. Um, and meanwhile, you've got the visitors down on earth, you know, they've raided the, you know, the, <laughs> the Nazi house, as you keep saying, um, and, and, you know, they tear down, like, the visitor's flag, and, you know, there's a clear, like, World War II kind of homage going on there. So I, I liked that. I think my problem with this episode in general is that the virus actually makes this not about fascism at all. It, it lets it off the hook, right? They, they found out a convenient way to defeat fascism that is not the actual way that it is done on Earth. I mean, it's still, there's still a military uprising, there is, but they only succeed because of the, the virus. It's just an easy solution that is not... It, it, it deliberately takes advantage of the fact that these people are not human. Whereas in, a, in our world, in real fascist situations, everyone is human. So, so I think it kind of loses the allegory when they use that plot device. Maybe, but I think maybe there's an additional allegory to be gained with the uh, the events of the past year and a half. Sure. <laughs> like a giant disease and defeating but I, fascism. I, and I don't think the, you know, the original miniseries were thinking forward about, hey, COVID could happen. I think they were looking back at like, hey, you know, fascism happened. Yeah. No, but I'm just saying now, now there's new meaning uh, yeah. that can be attached to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I like agree with you. But it's like it had to happen quickly because it's just a very large scale conflict. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, and, in the real world, the answer is like alliances and the world fights back. And I mean, that's I what guess happens. The, they mention all the resistance fighters working at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, Independence Day. <laughs> indeed. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. That's just I, a overarching thought I kind of had on this. But uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, you said like this was the peak uh, of the episode, and I sort of want to agree because I'm someone who watched the, the original miniseries like 12 years ago, and I had not seen the final battle. So it was sort of like 12 years where I did not know how things shook out. Yeah. And I would say that I was, uh, I don't know if there's any way it could have met like 12 years of expectations, <laughs> but I yeah. mean, this, if I had watched it like a couple days afterwards, I mean, I would say that this was ultimately pretty satisfying. Was yeah. it satisfying for you watching it in the sort of protracted time span you did? It was less than 12 years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like we said, it's like we were both pretty anxious about where this was going to go after the last episode. Um, but I thought it more or less like held up in this um, at the beginning of the final act of this episode. And then I think things kind of go downhill. And that's where I'm going now. Yeah. Well, before that, um, the uh, I like the part with the the Nazi chalet because uh, yeah, we have to mention that Mike's mom tries to pull one last turncoat on the visitors, being yeah. like, "Oh yeah, Stephen was holding me prisoner," and then Stephen's like, "You know what?" screw <laughs> this and he just shoots Mike's mom in the back <laughs> yeah another then, character I am not lamenting the death of and then well like I said it's like they they put a line in the sand in this miniseries there wasn't a lot of the nuance of the original miniseries yeah um, in the original miniseries you're slowly unraveling what's happening and it's a slow descent whereas at this point it's descended you are living in a you know fascist state Fascism bad. Agreed. <laughs> but I, I feel like in this age of like Breaking Bads and Better Call Sauls and The Sopranos that there's definitely a way they could have kept the nuance without it uh, changing too much of the direction. But that, I guess they weren't interested in doing that in this, um, Yeah. to be fair. I mean, it was just... I mean, this is basically just a giant cash-in on the original miniseries, and Kenneth Johnson was dismissed, and so a bunch of other writers and stuff were brought on to uh, wrap it all up in spectacular fashion. So, can't... Um, it, it's a happy medium. Yeah. In a yeah. way. But anyway, and then, then Steven gets shot, and that that shot of... where it's, like, basically the, the, v, the visitor's Oval Office... With like all the bodies on the ground, that was I thought that was an awesome shot. Yeah, yeah, so I, I really liked that sequence of them raiding the chalet, as you say. Yeah, I mean, well, it was satisfying to me. It's like twelve years later, they got them. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. finally got them. Yeah. So I think that's where this episode peaks for me, and then I think it starts to go downhill. So we've got probably about ten minutes left in this episode at this point. Diana has activated the Doomsday device. Uh, she's killed John, and you know, you know, Martin, Mike, they they make it to the bridge uh, where Diana's got this Doomsday device, and she's got Elizabeth just kind of staring at her. Um, the visitors are all evacuating Earth. It's this like last showdown between Diana and the humans, and Martin. Um, And basically, Diana, like, distracts Juliet by, like, trying to evoke her, like, brainwashing. Mm -hmm. um, I, thought, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. And Diana escapes. She makes it off the ship. Yep. She pulls a Darth Vader yes. in episode four. And she leaves the Resistance with this, like, countdown going on the Doomsday Clock. I don't know. Well, it's like literally there's 30 seconds left. I don't know how far she's planning to get. Right, right. Um, so, so, you know, Mike is trying to figure out the, like, countdown. Yeah, and, like, if, if, there's, if there's one thing I want to say, it's that Mike is basically completely useless 
at the end of this. He doesn't really do anything. No, at is, all the entire uh, episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they they gave like there's like a video game to decode the the bomb and L- Lorraine was that her name? Yeah. And Lorraine basically tries it, and then Mike's like, "Step aside, let me try." And it's like, Mike, you don't know right. what you're doing. <laughs> right. Turns out neither of them are actually able to stop it. But Elizabeth, who you may recall has just been standing around this entire episode. And is four years old. She looks look, older look, at this look, point. But well, yeah. I mean, looks like a four-year-old. This is like only a day or two old. <laughs> right. She just walks up and she starts illuminating. And there's like... Yeah. She has in magic effect, powers. Yes. And she's able to stop it. And I think this might be the most mad I have ever been at this show was that moment. And that's basically where the episode ends is Martin starts to bring the mothership back to Earth. It's not clear how things on Earth are going. Like there's going to be a lot of cleanup, but they stopped the Doomsday device because a child was magic. Yeah, I thought I thought she was going to just pull the keys out of the thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I would have been madder if she did that. That's a good point. Yeah, how'd you feel about uh, about this last minute of the show? Uh, I would just say I was probably more confused than angry. Just not, not like, confused about, like, I don't understand the things that I'm seeing, but it's just like, why? Why is it ending like this? Yeah. Like, do the... I mean, I guess, like, they do sort of have, like, Diana talking to Juliet, and it's like, that's sort of like a psychic power... But then this is just like a whole another level. But that's more that. like a hypnosis. Whereas this Elizabeth literally like there's like this very shitty looking effect. Sorry. Oh. There's, this, there's this very bad looking effect where she's like covered in like I don't even know what to call it. It's like Tinkerbell yeah. bubbles, Tinkerbell aura. And she's just holding on this machine. It just it looks ridiculous. I was not happy. Yeah, it'd be like if if Luke Skywalker, like Darth Vader, dies right in front of him, and then he like uses <laughs> he starts radiating force energy to like <laughs> stop the second Death Star from exploding. I but it, but it's different, right? Because the force is like magic exists in the Star Wars universe, like canonically. They say that very early on has never existed in the V universe. Like, yes, there is science fiction and there is like, uh, there's like technology and hypnosis, but none of like, none of the visitors have like powers like that. They, they're not able to like project super. Yeah. There was, uh, there was nothing to indicate this at all. Yeah. In the previous eight hours. Of yeah. Content. So it's very disappointing. And it kind of got me thinking, it's like, how could I have ended this better? And I actually think, like, if John were still alive and he's the one who turns it off at the end, I thought that could have been better. Yeah. Like, something like that I thought would have been, like, where it's like John stands up to Diana because she's gone too far or something like that. I, I'm sh- I, that, is, that is a good idea. I think the intention was, like, a metaphor of, like, children are the future. And because she says, like, the visitor word for peace, that's the only line she has. She says it three times. Yeah. Um, so it was probably something like that. But it's it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Not, not a fan. Would it have been better if they all just blew up? It, it would have been uh, something. I don't know. It just makes me think. It's like other things that could have been better, right? It's like if John were still alive and he was like, or if Martin sacrificed himself, he was like, you guys get on a shuttle and fly to Earth. I'm going to fly this thing out of orbit and blow it up. And he like, you know, gets close to the moon and blows it up or something like that. Something like that. Something where someone like dies a hero and is like redeemed would have been so much better. Just like how World War II ended. Well, I guarantee World War II did not end with you know, Harry Truman illuminating and pushing a nuclear bomb into Japan. Uh, twice. Yeah, twice. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so that's that's where our miniseries ends. You know, they're head back to Earth. There's a lot of cleanup. I got, I got a lot of questions about what's going to go on with, like, his son, Sean. 
is Sean like going to be okay? <laughs> There's yeah. obviously a lot of cleanup to be done. Well, and Diane is still out there. Yeah. I mean, it basically, it's it's enough of an ending where it's like, you know, you don't, I mean, like you could have questions if you were like thinking about like, what do, what did they not resolve? Blah, blah, blah. Right. What did they yeah. not show? But, you know, it's it's fine enough as. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I wish they would have like closed out Sean's story just because he is like an actual plot device in this, in this episode. But well. They they wanted to end how it really ends. I mean, it ends with like them heading towards Earth, reusing that great shot from the last episode where <laughs> Pamela arrives on her mothership. But um, they wanted to end on that shot of Mike and Juliet kissing, and it's like yeah. I don't know if I buy this enough. <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't like this show, like the original miniseries, isn't about like love. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, it is not. They wanted to have their Empire Strikes Back and, and eat it, too. Yeah. And that's what happened in this episode. Should we take a commercial break? Yeah, I think we should take this time to take a break, and we'll come back with our final thoughts on V. Hi, I'm Lars Emerson. And I'm Mike Levito. And we're the hosts of the Post Writers podcast, Watching Mates. It's our podcast in which we explore the trends in film under each post-war presidency and reflect on how presidents and the zeitgeist of the era shaped the movies of their time. Episodes air every two weeks, so be sure to check it out wherever podcasts are found or on thepostwriter.com. So there was a lot of talk last episode in the beginning of this about the reptilian a- alien hybrid baby prop. What do you mean prop? <laughs> it was a prop. Uh, according to trivia on IMDb, the alien baby prop was not destroyed after the final battle wrapped up. It was actually kept in storage in the Warner Brothers lot, I guess. And several years later on the TV show ER with George Clooney. Uh, George Clooney is famous for playing pranks on set and stuff like that. Um, so he, he apparently found the alien baby prop and used it in a scene on ER as like a prank on everybody. That's <laughs> funny. Kind of, yeah. Apparently the script called for like a baby to be blue. In a scene on ER, so he switched it out with the alien baby prop. <laughs> I, I almost wish I'd have watched ER before I ever knew about V. Because then I would have just, like, it would be a great moment right now, but I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Did the music sound any different to you in this episode, Lars? I don't think I was tracking the music in this episode. Okay. Well, uh, I actually noticed that the music sounded a bit different in this episode, and that's actually because they had fired the person that did music for the previous part, and someone else did it for part three of this. I was Hmm. actually going to mention that in the scene when you first see the hot air balloons, it sounds actually very, like, Daft Punk when it starts. So, yeah, so that scene is the only scene where I do actually remember, like, a big musical moment, right, is that's a very visual uh, orchestral kind of scene. Yeah, I, I thought it was like, uh, I, it reminded me a lot of like a Daft Punk song, which I thought was impressive given the time period this this uh, show was made. Uh, so that that just struck me as something notable about right. it. The hot air balloon sequence was filmed in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Speaking of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Nice. It's Very a lot nice. of air balloons. I, I was impressed. Yeah. It was the annual International Balloon Festival. Oh. So I'm sure they only had to bring in the the V one. Yeah. But that was still cool to see, the V yeah. balloon. Yeah. So in the conversion chamber scene with uh, Julie, Juliet. From last episode? Yeah. You remember how, like, they have the images of, like, Juliet on the computer and, like, the T-pose and it's, like, profile and to the yeah. side? Yeah. Those are actually photographed. That's actually, that's actually film. That's not like animation. 
and they added glowing effects to make look make it look like the computer was generating her physical image. That's actually like huh. uh, uh, it's not animation or anything like that. Hmm. V and the final battle were actually separated by a year uh, when it aired here in the United States, but when it aired in the UK over the summer of 1984, they aired all five parts over five nights. So it's pretty similar to how you and I have viewed it recently. Yeah. Dennis McCarthy was hired after the producers felt that the music composed by Barry D. Vorzon and Joseph Conlon lacked the right feel. So you can hear the difference in styles from the second part as it contains music from all of all three of those composers. And the third part was entirely by Dennis McCarthy, except for the uh, opening and closing titles. Yeah, I, I, I did notice the different opening and closing in this miniseries as opposed to the first, more so in the last episode. And people might know Dennis McCarthy because he was the composer on the Star Trek shows when T TNG came back. TNG, Voyager, Enterprise. He was a composer on all those shows. So he's definitely a good composer to have for science fiction property. Yeah, yeah. And again, the uh, conversion chamber scene, Faye Grant, the actress who played Juliet, she took the scene so seriously, like got really method about it. She imagined it was all real and she was actually foaming at the mouth by the end of uh, filming. So, and she revealed in interviews that she had to take therapy afterwards to like deal with the uh, emotion and trauma she went through. Jeez. I, she's, she's very good in this show. I actually really do like her. Yeah, no. I mean, all the actors, I think, do a, a good job. I don't know if there was anyone who was flat-out bad. Michael Ironside was really good. Michael Ironside stole the show for me in the last part. He doesn't really get a whole lot to do. He has a fight scene with Mike in this, which is kind of unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, there's like a small argument over, like, should we ship out the, the powder and stuff? But it kind of gets resolved. I wanted to show you this uh, mural that Kenneth Johnson has posted on his website, Lars. So I'm going to send you the link to that right now if you want to take a look. Sure. And if you want to describe it for the listener. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, so it's a... <laughs> it, it's a mural of... Uh, it appears to be John at first, but it's actually Donald John Trump <laughs> dressed as a visitor with, you know, J John also has blonde hair. And you can see the lizard skin peeling out of uh, Trump's fake skin in this mural. And it says, we come in peace always, uh, you know, kind of a clearly pointing to uh, Donald Trump's authoritarian tendencies. Yeah. And then it has the. Uh quote in French, because this is a mural from France with the uh, respectfully dedicated to the heroism of resistance fighters, past, present, and future. So I, I just wanted to show this to you because it's, you know, obviously it's quite recent. So it shows the power of V and how it still holds a place in people's hearts and minds after all these years. Yeah. Um, and if you scroll down, there's, there's more kind of posters and stuff with Trump depicted uh, joke about Space Force and whatnot. That's a that's a good it's a good mural though. Clever. Yeah, and then there's a also a link to the Agony Booth article about movies that predicted Trump, talking about the the original miniseries. So anyway, the big elephant in the room is that Kenneth Johnson left during production of the final battle over disputes with Warner Brothers about what to do. I think. I don't know like why specifically. I don't think that's ever been revealed, but I would say that it might be because Kenneth Johnson wanted to do a series and NBC just wanted to do a mini series like wrapping everything up. And I feel like he didn't want to do that because obviously fascism takes place over like a long period of time. Yeah. And I would say like dealing with like a baby, like that's not exactly like uh a very short plot line, you know what right. I mean? Right. So that, that might be my thoughts. So that makes Johnson, sense. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's just my theory about it. So NBC wanted to do the final battle. It's just to wrap everything up, which is ironic given that 
V was followed by a 19-episode weekly series after the final battle on NBC because the final battle was such a hit, like the first one. Uh, so Kenneth Johnson didn't really get to tell the story, you know, in his own words, like he did with the original miniseries. So in 2008, he was given the opportunity by writing a book, V, The Second Generation, which came out in 2008, I believe. Mm. So if anyone's interested in reading that, you can uh, definitely purchase the novel V, The Second Generation, which I believe takes place like 20 years later. Gotcha. So where Elizabeth is now like 80 years old or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's further grist for the mill that he wanted to tell a story that took years. Yeah, yeah. You could definitely see there's a lot more wrong in this miniseries than in the first one. There's a lot more that would bother you as a writer. So I, I get that. Yeah, it just, it it doesn't feel... Because the first one, it just feels like one long thing split in half. Yeah. And this one feels definitely like, it feels like three episodes, each with the beginning, middle, and end, sort of. And there's not a whole lot of uh, overlapping. I mean, some things, like, do overlap, but it's more um, just by virtue of, like, oh, we ran out of time in this time slot, so we'll we'll pick it up again. It doesn't feel as good as it could have been. In Indeed. So now that we're winding down on this series, Lewis, I, I've got a, I've got a question for you. Who was your favorite character overall? You know, that is a very interesting question, Lars. I remember watching V uh, at the beginning of this year, 2021, and thinking like I could do like a video, short video on like every character because there's like mm. so much to talk about, I feel, with like every single one. So is this over all the five parts? Oh, yeah. It's a really tough question because I feel like a lot of people that are introduced early on and like are compelling, they become less compelling as it goes on. So like uh, just at the forefront of my mind, when you say that question, it's like, I'm just going to say like Ham Tyler because <laughs> like he was really good. He, I think he was like a great addition to like the whole cast because um, he sort of bridges that evolution from like, World War II allegory to like sci-fi action thing. So uh, I'm going to say him. He was just, you know, a cool character to introduce into the franchise. Um, probably not like the best character overall, but like I really liked him and I really liked the way Michael Ironside played him. Gotcha. I, I think I would have to say either Juliet or Martin. I think I have a pretty soft spot for Martin, especially. Um, I just find them I like... Uh, Faye Grant? Is it Faye Grant? Yeah, Faye Grant. Yeah, like Faye Grant just does like a really good job. And I, you know, she she kind of like drives the whole plot more so even than Mike, especially in the last episode. And and Martin, I just think he's, you know, he's good. He's got this like kind of sadness about him that he just seems like a good guy who's like hiding in the, you know, depths of evil. And, I, you know, I was actively worried for Martin. There's, that's a, there's a good tension there. Yeah, it would have been nice to, to learn more about Martin. Yeah, I, I agree. Who And who is your least favorite character? Oh, God. <laughs> least favorite character? It'd probably be, have to be, like, somebody they did absolutely, like, nothing with. Uh, yeah, that, that one's harder to answer for me. Um, Juliet's stockbroker boyfriend. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, like, forgot about him. I liked him, though. Because <laughs> stocks. I, I think Mike's son might be up there for me. Uh, I don't know. I didn't do a lot. It's like, Mike. I really hate, like, Mike's mom, obviously. And I, I hate um, Daniel. But they're not, you know, I think they're good characters. You're supposed to. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Mike's son. I, oh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth might be my least favorite character. In that she's... <laughs> Just She's a more, plot of a plot device. Device. Yeah. Yeah. more of a plot device. But I, I, I hate that. Human beings are not, even if they're only half human beings, they're not plot devices, they're people. And I, 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 think, it's a, I think it's often a lazy way out. So I, I think I'd say her. Uh, all right. Uh, so what was your favorite part of this episode, Lars? I, I think it's got to be kind of what I was talking about. 
it's it's like Diana turning on John and like the chalet being raided by the resistance. It's like that kind of like peak of the episode I thought was really good. Oh, okay then. Um, <laughs> let's see what else can I say. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can agree with me. I think that's like the it's a great moment. I liked when Diana was messing with Juliet's mind at the end there, but it was it's such a shame that it happened like so close to the end. Yeah. And not a whole lot happens with it. Yeah. I When all the hot air balloons take off and you get that music, I thought that was nice, too. Yeah, it was good music. Yeah. It does make me wonder where all those resistance fighters have been hiding their hot air balloons and propane. But uh, <laughs> what do I know? Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what was your least favorite part of the episode? I think it was very clearly the last, you know, couple minutes where the child becomes, you know, a projectile image and so forth. <laughs> Not a fan. Really actually hated it. I think my least favorite part was just, like, priest hanging around. <laughs> yeah. Diana's ship. I, it feels like they were trying to say something about, like, you know, because they have this whole conversation, right? It's like you, you have, like, missionaries who, like, it would be an honor to be like a missionary to your people and like teach them the good word of Christ or whatever. Um, it feels like they're trying to get at something, but they never actually stick the landing or they just like don't even have a landing. Is then he just she just like kills him. She's like, this made me feel weak. Yeah, well, it's just like we just have Diana kill him like immediately. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. it's drawn out. Yeah, he's just like hanging around. Yeah. Yeah, you know, at first I was like, oh, it's interesting that she's not killing him. Like immediately, because I thought she would, because she's like evil, but then she ends up doing it anyway. Yeah. All right, Lars. So now we we've come to the end of our big V watch. So do you want to give any of your final thoughts where this holds up in the pantheon of sci-fi movies you've watched in your life, stuff like that? Sure. So I, sure. So I actually think the first episode of the original miniseries is I would wholeheartedly recommend that to anyone i think that's you we kind of joked about it later but at the time you were like all high schoolers should like watch this episode or something like that and then we kind of you kind of rolled that back when the show you know didn't quite stick with it through the next episode or so um but i i do think that's true that first episode i would recommend to everyone i think if you really liked it and you like science fiction i think you should watch the next four episodes uh yeah, but if you don't, I think you'd be okay. But the the first episode, good stuff. That's some good stuff. Yeah, it's just very real. They do it, even though it's science fiction, it feels more real than like Star Wars does, right? Yeah, well, it's the it's the Twilight Zone effect of like Rod Serling. I want to address real issues, and they're like, well, you can't address real issues because we're trying to sell soap here. <laughs> right. It's like, well, I'll just tell a science fiction story then with yeah. overtones. Yeah. So. Yeah, so part one's really kind of like lightning in a bottle in that way. Even though I think the original miniseries is pretty good, it does end on that, you know, ends on like a couple of bittersweet notes, you know, where uh, even though it doesn't fully resolve the thing with the visitors, you could really just sort of stop there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the final battle is exciting, I guess. There's not a whole lot done with a lot of the like other characters that aren't, Mike and Juliet, like Elias, really didn't get to do much. Uh, Willie is there still. Willie feels like he gets to actually do more than in the original series, I want to say. There, there, there's stuff, but it just feels a little bit lacking in like... Yeah. yeah. You, see, you see all the characters, but they don't really get to do a whole lot in the final battle. Yeah. And then there are other problems, like the, the visitors sort of become more bumbling and incompetent in the final battle. But which, I guess it's supposed to be part of the metaphor. It's like you become overconfident or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, th I agree, though. I thought you were going to say something like that about how it's brilliant because... No, I, I don't think it's... I lambasted, you know, the last two episodes because, like, these are the most incompetent fascists in the world. They're unable to, like, see human beings running across a balcony at them. Yeah. Um... It's just a little frustrating. It would have been nice to see how 
Kenneth Johnson would do it if he was really going to do something that like took its time. Uh, but then again, is this a story that needed to be told, you know, over like, you know, like something like how Game of Thrones is like with seasons taking place over years. It's like, could V exist like that? Does it work? Could it? I mean, it works. It works as like the movie, like the miniseries is like a long movie like that worked. Did it need more? Did we need more V? Did did the final battle satiate the craving of like wanting more? Did you feel like you wanted more? I, I don't Do know. You want it's... more now. I don't think so. I don't know that it's satiated as much as it like con- confirmed that like this is a good spot to end. <laughs> Where you know it's it's the you know the first two episodes of the original miniseries are good. It's like you, you end that and you kind of want more. You or you at least want to know maybe a little more where it's going. And I think it would have been totally fine if it ended right there. You'd be like, this is just a solid two episode science fiction miniseries about how fascism could happen again. You could end it there and I would be like, I would love the show. You do these three next episodes and I think it just kind of confirms. It's like, okay, here you go. And now the show needs to end. There's, you got a little more and it wasn't as good. And you still got like an ending that's more or less satisfactory, save for the little girl. I, I, I think continuing to drone on with it actually undermines it after this point. I don't know. I mean, part of me is just curious because there's like, obviously we know there's more. Right. um, So it's like, I'm kind of interested to see where they go with it, but you know, I'm a bit apprehensive as well, but there's definitely more V to talk about. Should we ever decide to come back and do another season of this? Um, but for the moment, we are going to be wrapping up our season of The Visitors Might Be Listening. It's It's been a good ride. I've had a good time doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, I was on... Because, like, the way this year started, it was at, like, the forefront of my mind of, like, wanting to check out V... And it's like, it's amazing, like, how quickly things have changed since, like, January in this country with the political climate and everything going on, where it's just like, everything was at such a fever pitch, Mm. where it felt like V. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And now, now things have changed. I mean, things have changed. Things have gotten put on the back burner. We'll have to see if they re-manifest themselves, uh in the time period to come, but the point is to stay vigilant. It could happen here. Yes. That, 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 that was always the worry. If you're not uh, careful, it's nice that we have V to just like cleanly explain it. If you just want to show people part one, it just clearly shows like just how uh, insidious some things can be in our fragile human designed political ecosystems. Yeah, so I, I would check it out if you're interested at all in V. I would say it certainly holds up given that it's a product of uh, 1980s television. I don't yes. know, I guess. I, I agree. Uh, you know, the effects aren't great, but totally serviceable. I mean, I don't mean to be down about, like, television of that era because there was stuff on that was also good. Do you watch this, something like this, and think about, like, what am I trying to say? Like, we we loot, we lost something when like there were the three networks people had to watch one of the three if they wanted to watch television something like v is obviously like a big you know like extravaganza but there's also like an important message in there and i feel like it was very responsible for like nbc to like air something like this and obviously there's stuff like roots stuff like mash all in the family do do you does v work if it's not something everyone's watching, if it's just a niche thing? Yes, I, I think so. It'd be better if more people watched it, but, I mean, I, I could have watched any number of hundreds of thousands of shows, and I chose to watch this one. And, you know, I liked it. I, I guarantee you, like, people I know in the 80s didn't watch V. Uh, like, my parents didn't watch this show. Hmm. 
I don't think that universality, uh, you know, is is it's ideal, but it's not necessary. Mm. I still derived as much enjoyment and uh, education from it as I think was anticipated. But I guess, like, if if you had to, because V like was successful when it first aired, and it continued continued to be successful throughout the decades in terms of like being repeated on television ranked highly in critical lists you know being released it still holds some pop cultural sway as i've shown you there have been funko pops released there was a relaunch in 2009 if you had to boil it down to like one or two phrases like what about v is so compelling uh, i i think the reality of it right is 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 you know we've we've talked a lot about like the daniel character um it's like he feels like the person that we know like he feels we all know someone like that who's just like a dangerous step away from going down this path because they're unwilling to speak out or they don't care and and i think you know for a science fiction show uh it handles these issues pretty realistically it's like you've got family division it's like families torn apart over uh, what appears to be political division to them but is actually like a deep-seated like do you believe in human dignity division um just the slow creep of of this system coming you know to fruition is really good like you don't see that even in shows like about nazi germany right <laughs> all right well Thank you for taking this this journey back through time with me, Lars. I hope, you know, <laughs> you learned something a little bit about the past. <laughs> Re it contextualized the present a bit for you and, you know, gives you something to think about for the future, maybe. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, as always, you can reach out to Lewis and myself. Uh, you can find us on thepostwriter.com. This is a postwriter-sponsored podcast uh you can email us at contact at the postwriter.com you can find us at twitter at the postwriter uh facebook you know we're we're out there reach out to us we'd love to hear from you maybe if we get enough uh people reaching out we'll do we'll, we'll do a comeback episode and we'll answer your questions and talk about the lizard baby <laughs> yeah if anyone knows where that prop is please send it to us <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can find Lars and I on letterbox.com if you want to see more of our reviews on movies and stuff like that. And we are also on other podcasts on The Post Rider. So if you want to hear more of our thoughts and see more of our thoughts, you can find articles we've written, chat rooms we've participated in. And uh, who knows what the future holds? As I said, we're pretty much wrapping up this season of this podcast and whether we come back for more in a mailbag episode or a future season discussing more of the V franchise. Cause there's definitely more to talk about if we so choose. So uh, with that, I, I want to thank everyone for listening and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day or year. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's been a blast, Lewis. Thanks for hosting. Bye everyone.